In this podcast, I'm hoping to show you something that, a theme that is on the surface of the prayers, but you don't realize often how it's repeated over and over. And I want to lead you into noticing it, sinking into it a little bit, and then concluding with a direct challenge and thought of how to increase a certain kind of goal of the prayers in your life with a practical exercise. So the Friday night service, which is, what, 40 minutes long, has maybe a dozen or so prayers, not that, all that many, plus a few psalms. And yet, I want you to notice a theme that repeats over and over again. First of all, in the Shabbat psalm itself, you get the notion right at the beginning that God may we speak may i tell of your embracing chesed your embracing love may i tell of that in the morning and may i tell of your emunah your trust your trustworthiness your faithfulness our relationship our sort of covenantal faith our our connection may i tell of that at night so there's this thing about the morning and night very much connects with me what it is that my consciousness is supposed to be in the morning especially when i wake up my kids that the right frame of mind for the morning is chesed is a forgiving loving kind outlook on the world and the right thought at night is this trust this almost covenantal trust that exists between people between a child and a parent between an adult and God. You know, it's at night when we, when what we need are those that we can count on. The night defines that time, whether asleep or in need at night or in sickness. So we have a, a night and uh, a morning and a night going on in the Shabbat Psalm. And then when we get to the regular prayers of the service itself, it continues. We have. Right before the Shema, we have a prayer, Ahavat Olam, the cosmic love, the love of the world that we should feel coming toward us. And in that prayer, we read, well, I'll read in English, with constancy you have loved your people Israel, teaching us Torah and mitzvot, statues, statutes and laws. Therefore, Adonai our God, when we lie down to sleep, and when we rise up, we shall think of your laws and speak of them, rejoicing always in your Torah and mitzvot, for they are our life and the length of our days. We will meditate on them day and night. Never take your love from us. And then it concludes with the blessing of the God who loves his people. When we lie down to sleep, and when we rise up, may we experience the feeling of being loved by being able to understand the laws of the universe, physical laws, the moral laws. I mean, the fact that I get as a human being to read a book about parenting and understand better how to be a better parent, that I can understand the laws of mechanics and physics and, um, and engineering 
so that I can solve problems. The fact that I can understand, that I can be helped by a psychologist or a doctor or a rabbi to think in a way that enlightens me with education and Torah and make my life better and free me from the bonds of ignorance and mistake. And so the fact that that love is something though you're supposed to, when we lie down to sleep and when we rise up. And then we say the Shema, and then we continue with the Via Hafta, which says, Via Hafta et Adonai Elohecha. And then you return that love to God. You show your love to God. And how do you do that? With all your heart and all of your soul and all of the excess. Um, you return the excess in your life, whatever that excess is, to service of God. And you should teach God's ways to your children, recite them at home and away, night and day. You should recite them as you get up and as you lie down. Again, the getting up and the lying down on exactly on the next page. We go a little bit further and we are at the Hashkivenu, which says, help us Adonai to lie down in peace and awaken us again to life. And it continues that it's a, it's a prayer about as we lie down and as we rise up, may we lie down in peace and may we rise up again to life. The rabbis understood this, some of them, to be, speak potentially of reincarnation, drawing on the language of the Psalms. May God guard our soul in its going and its coming now and forever. In other words, going to the next world and then coming back into this. or in dream and sleep, going to another place and then coming back in, um, or in whatever interpretation that means to you. But again, the Hashkivenu is about the going to sleep and the waking up in the morning. So now for the third time in what's only a very short service, and it continues on. The I, so I'll share with you the first blessing of the morning prayers. In many synagogues uh, like mine, this is the very first line we do in, for those who are on time on Saturday morning. And originally, these were all blessings that you would do when you initially woke up. Every single blessing has a double meaning. You know, some of them deal with washing. Some of them deal with... Uh, vacating your bowels, some of them deal with getting dressed, and they connect them all to the spiritual, they connect the material and the spiritual in each line. And maybe in another podcast I can go over each one and, and show you how each has a dual meaning. It's a very holy combination. The very first one is Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech Alam. Praise to you, our God, the rule maker uh, who rules the universe. Asher Natan who gave La sechvivina to, let's say, the something, bina, the ability to distinguish, the havchin, and to discern between yom uvein laila, to discern between day and night. Sechvi is a pun, a very, very famous pun in that line, because it could mean just the one who God who who gave the ability to distinguish between day and night, or sechvi can mean rooster. So. Who, blessed be you, God, who gave the rooster the ability to distinguish between day and night. Again, we begin with what it means to wake up in the morning. So, especially with the change in daylight savings time, 
I was thinking and trying to learn about how it is that people woke up before the invention of the alarm clock. Now, some wealthy people would hire people to wake them up, and during human civilization, there were some contraptions that came up in recent centuries. But for most of human history, before the alarm clock, people were woken up by animals, sometimes by cows who wanted to be milked, and mainly by the rooster. And otherwise, they were in trouble if they needed to wake up at a certain time because they otherwise had no way to wake up unless the light woke them up or they had the rooster. And so that this was a great issue for many human beings, whether they would wake up on time. When someone, when you start to realize that, that basic human issue, what is the rhythm that we're in? Do, are, are you like me? I actually wake up right now at 6.47 every morning. Whether I have an alarm set or not, it doesn't matter. Somehow my body is set every time I wake up and I look at the clock, it says 6.47 and I get up and so I don't have to wait for my seven o'clock alarm. And I'm in a rhythm. And, you know, and I feel that when we're in that rhythm, we're in a more holy, spiritual, and centered place. I can feel it within myself. So obviously the body has circadian rhythms and rhythms I don't understand built into it. And being in the rhythm leads to less anxiety and greater inner peace. And when you have such a fundamental idea right there, it makes me think about, other, about the prayers and they're talking about what it means to wake up and go to sleep. It, it's repetition has to mean something. It's, it's almost, an, it's not an obsession with, for the liturgy. It's gotta be, there has to be a real connection to what it means. And then I think of what probably is the most commonly studied tractate of Talmud. If you, in many, many synagogues and Talmud classes, they'll start you with the, with Masechet Brachot, the volume that deals with blessings. And it shows a lot of the techniques of Talmud. It's good to kind of learn Talmud, seeing its structure, rehearsing its arguments. And yet for many people, it's a surprise because page after page, hour after hour of the of brachot, of the chapter of the Talmud begins with trying to understand when you're supposed to say the morning Shema. And it goes through pages and pages and pages of trying to understand this issue of do you say it when you wake up? And when should you be waking up? And what is the appropriate time to be waking up? And what if you sleep late? Or what if you go to bed really late? And when you actually go to bed, it's already the morning. Do you say the nighttime Shema or do you say the morning Shema? And so when I've studied it, and I think most people, they just see this as a way to crack their teeth on the mechanics of Talmud because it's hard to take seriously that that would be an issue worthy of all of the time spent on it. But now I see it in a different light without going through all the individual arguments, we begin with the whole idea of going to sleep and waking up. And when is the right or holy time to say the Shema? And one of the obsessions of the Masachet, hidden from view, but now revealed, is what if people are all saying it at different times? Is that okay? Or should we have some common frame of reference of time based on how light it is outside, or when the rooster crows. And one of the things they suggest in the Talmud is that perhaps the holiest time to say the Shema is when the sun has not yet risen completely, but the sky is turning that special shade of blue that those who have been up before sunrise know. 
And is there a special spirituality by tuning yourself to wake up and experiencing that time? And I think that's deep. So I was listening to a study, and we get to the practical teaching, about there was a study recently taking into account what is the best time to wake up in the morning. Are people who sleep late, are they more healthy? Are, are, do they, are they more functioning? Are people who get up extra early, are they greater functioning? Is it something in between? What is the ideal time to wake up? And what the study concluded was that it's not exactly clear that there's any ideal time to get up. The indications for health and functioning seem to be that earlier is better, but not by as dramatic a margin as we might have expected. But there is one great finding that is connected to health and well-being and functioning, and that is whether when you get up, you are then in a state of stress to accomplish what you need to accomplish. For me, we'd be getting my kids up, and they drive me crazy, and I gotta threaten them and brush their teeth and cajole them and kiss them and do whatever I need to do to get them awake and ready to go to school without being late. For, um, but for, you know, before I had kids, it was other things. You know, am I rushing to get to work? Am I squeezing in every little last bit of sleep I can? Am I rushing to get my coffee? Am I racing in traffic? That, and I know this is common sense, but I don't know if we take it as seriously as we should. That if you leave extra time, so that whatever time you do get up, you get up, let's say, 20 minutes earlier, half an hour earlier, and you leave time to be calm and centered. For me, I think of some of my favorite moments in my life have been early morning coffee, just reading poetry, where I ended up getting up early enough where I didn't have to rush, and I could watch the sky outside my window and read a few poems before I had to get going with my day. And the fact that those are some of the best memories of my life and the fact that the study is saying when you do that, you actually are healthier and you are on a better rhythm and you are calmer, calmer. there's less cortisol or cort you know, rushing through your body and adrenaline and that this changes your life. I now have a whole new perspective on what Masachet Brachot was saying, why it goes on for pages and pages. What does it mean to be connected to the rhythm of others? When is the right time to say that morning prayer? What is morning prayer? What is nighttime prayer? And then it occurred to me, or I, read, or I think I read somewhere, that one of the theories of prayer is that it, was, it served the function of getting you to sleep at the right time and waking you up at the right time. That if you didn't have a rooster and you couldn't pay someone and you didn't live right next to the cow that you could trust to wake you up at exactly the right time, that nighttime prayers were a way of training your mind and your body when you did them, that it would put you to sleep. Like, I don't know, we might read a child the same book every night because you know by the time you get to the end of of that exact story, their eyes are going to be closed and they're going to be asleep. And the prayers were a way of centering ourselves spiritually and physically, psychophysically, so that we fell asleep at the right time. And then when we woke up, 
we said the prayers again, um, the morning prayers, and they got us up in a way that was centered and spiritual. And like the psalm says, in a state of embracing love, or as the prayers are saying, in a state of being grateful for understanding the rhythms and ways of the universe, um, and that we ourselves would be healthier. So maybe the themes of getting up and going to sleep in prayer are very, very practical about keeping us on the right rhythm and keeping us healthy and functioning spiritually and physically. And so my practical suggestion, which I've been adopting myself and practicing myself lately, is if you rush in the morning, set your alarm earlier, and while it may seem that you are depriving yourself of time that you need to sleep, whether you might find that you're giving yourself the gift of the early morning Shema, you're giving yourself the gift of early prayer, whether you pray or not, but the function of the prayer, morning of moments with God, of moments of centering yourself mentally and physically, and see if it changes your life.